Good morning. Happy New Year. We're a week into it. Woo. Some are happy New Year's here. Some are glad 2017 is gone. Some of us have made resolutions for 2018. And I, you know, I looked up resolutions this week because I thought, you know, I wonder what kind of stats there are on that. I'm not really a resolution type guy myself, but I wonder what the stats are. And I looked at more than one article Well, here's some encouragement for you, those of you who are doing a resolution. Over 80% of you won't follow through. (laughs) And to even enhance that for you, 75% of that 80% will quit as of today. The first week has the highest fall off. It's amazing. It's like three quarters of the crowd is done after the first week. So that, that will either totally discourage you and you will be done today or that will encourage you to dig in deeper and throw the scale off on the stats. So, But some of us uh, are dreading a new year possibly. Some of us don't care. You know, regardless of how we feel about 2018, one thing is true, we all have needs going into 2018. The world has needs going into 2018. I looked up uh, on the internet this week too, and I thought, what kind of needs does the world, what, what does the world really see as their needs? And I found a, an article out of the UK they had done and did a huge survey of the millennials and you know, what, what do they see as the top 10 greatest needs in the world today? And I, I just grabbed some of those off of there. One was the lack of education on a global scale. And we see that a lot of the world, you don't have to look far, you get into third world countries and there's a big lack of good education system for people to learn. Another was safety and security, the threat of terrorism, poverty on the global scale. And of course, education ties closely into that as well too, as we know. The large scale of war conflicts, countries at odds with each other, civil wars, people groups rising up to each other. The number one pick of the need, though, was listed was the debate over climate change and the use of the natural resources. And whether, depending how you feel about those needs, the fact is, is the world is, has needs. We have great needs. And the reality is, is that we have great needs as well this morning here. All of us do. All of us have different needs. We have relationship needs coming into 2018. Some of us have relationship needs in our marriage this year. Our marriage is struggling. We're going through a tough time. It might be on the verge of failure. Some of us have relationship needs with our kids. Some of us have relationship needs with coworkers or our boss or family members. Some of us have physical needs coming into 2018. Our bodies are failing. Some of us at different paces than others. We're struggling with a sickness in our life or maybe a terminal disease that we have. We have needs. We have emotional needs. We have needs with our self-esteem, our security in our life, feelings of not being loved. We also have spiritual needs as well. Some of us are under spiritual attack and warfare right now in our families or in our spiritual walk. So the fact is, we have needs. The good news is this morning is that there's someone who can help meet our needs. 
In fact, he came to meet our greatest need of all we're going to see this morning. If you're able, please stand with me as we read our text. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 2, the first 12 verses. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. Now, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we look at your word this morning, and this true story that did happen, God, it's, um, it's great to see that you came to meet our greatest need. We're going to look at a man who had a great need in his life. And you saw it and you looked into his heart and you saw what his need was. And Lord, I thank you that that, that same promise holds true for all of us today in 2018. God, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is one of my favorite miraculous healing stories in the Bible. It has been for a number of years. And as it starts off in verse 1, you know, Jesus has returned to Capernaum. It's his home base at the time. And uh, he returns to the home he's staying at. And we don't, we don't know really whose house it was he was staying at. We're, we're pretty confident Jesus never owned a home. That just didn't fit with his whole agenda while he's here on earth. But it's, it's very possible that this was the Apostle Peter's home, possibly Peter and Andrew may have had a joint home. A lot of scholars think that was a possibility. But he'd returned home, and as we come out of Mark chapter 1, he's coming out of a time as well too where he's, he had healed a man with leprosy. He had told the man to go ahead and go present himself to the priests as the Levitic law required to be announced cleansed and to reenter society. But instead the man went out and broadcast it in his excitement to everybody in the countryside. And Jesus was already having the masses of people come to him and wanting to be with him, and he retreats to quiet places now 
more often, to get away, to pray, to regroup. And he returns home now, and it doesn't take long. We see that the word gets out that Jesus is in town again. And he, a crowd is gathering in verse 2 as we look at it, where it's quickly forming at his home that he's staying at. And it's even encouraging the to see as well when Jesus, you know, Jesus to me, he is truly the king of patience. He's the source of it in the Holy Spirit. But here's a crowd already at his home too. They filled up his home. They're out the door. It's like, you know, no matter what, when Jesus, when people approached and go after Jesus to spend time with him, he always graciously takes time to spend with them. He's patient. He's always willing. He's loving. And you know, that's, that's just a good reminder for us as well today. No matter when we approach the Lord, he's never too tired. He's never worn out. We're never disrupting him. He's always available for us. But the situation starts to pick up speed in verse 3. There's a group of men who are carrying a paralyzed man. You know, this, this man with a great need had a group of friends who were willing to help him get his need met. And four of that group, we don't know how many total there were, but there was four that Target in on, are out to help their friend. And my question is, you know, as we pause through the story as well too, do you, are, do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that would risk social embarrassment to help you out? I mean, these, you think about what these guys were going to do, where they were headed, what they were going to do. They, they could really be shunned against. Jesus could turn them away for how they're coming. But do you have good friends in your life? Do you have people who will go out of their way to help you? Do you have friends that would give of their time, their talent, their treasure to help you when you have a great need? I think of the importance of friendship and how valuable good friends are. I thought while going through this sermon, I thought back to a time years ago, Stacy and I, before we had kids, we were on our way up north camping for the weekend, and we'd gotten about two hours out of town, and we had major trouble. We blew the transmission in our vehicle, and I managed to cripple it off of the highway and get to an exit that was somewhat civilized and we thought, you know, what are we going to do? Because all of her family was already en route ahead of us. Everybody's headed up for the weekend. It was a big family get-together. My folks were unavailable downtown, I knew. And I thought, well, who are we going to call? So I just said, you know, I'm going to call my friend Wayne. And uh, it's Friday. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's that getting out of work time and stuff. I get Wayne a call. I said, hey, uh, we got, Stacy and I got a problem. I just, I just blew the tranny in the, the vehicle. And we're two hours north. I said, I don't know if you get plans for tonight, but I said, we could really use a hand. And he said, you know, not a problem. He says, I'll just, I got nothing major going on. Give me 15 minutes. I'll be on the road. Where are you at? That's good friendship. You know, having friends who love like Jesus, who, who put their everything in their emotion and their faith into action in every way. And as we come into 2018, I would ask you, do you have friends like that? And if not... I think it's important you get good friends like that, and I would encourage you in two ways. I would start to pray about that. I would ask the Lord to guide you to some good friendships. Church is the best place to find, best place to find friendships, and the best place within our church to find friendships is to get connected into a community small group. 
Cal Prince would be more than happy to get you connected into a small group where you can build friendships with people who will love on you, pray with you, hold you accountable, care for you, live life with you. But core friends are important. And of course, the natural question offset of that is, are you a friend like that? Are you a friend like these four in the Bible? Are you a person who will step up in a moment, maybe when it's very inconvenient or maybe when it might cost you something to step in and to help a friend? But these four guys, upon arrival in verse 4, we look at they're initially challenged by a large crowd. And I thought, boy, have you ever experienced that where you, you want to go to an event or come to something and the crowd is a big hindrance? That's one thing we tried to address this year with our Christmas Eve service. That's the major reason we did two of them is because last year, unfortunately, we knew we had some people pull in and left because they were just that discouraged by standing room only. The place was packed. And so we wanted to try and accommodate that. But but when any of us are faced with that, or you're, you're on the street and something's going on on the street, a performer or something, and the crowd's so thick and you just can't see, and kids tend to wiggle in and twist and push through the adults to try and get to where they can see. But sometimes it takes extra effort on our part when we're discouraged by something that is an obstacle to us. And these men are faced with an obstacle. So continuing in verse 4, they go to the rooftop. And they start taking apart the roof. You know, and it's easy to just, when a lot of us are so familiar with the Bible and we just fly through some of these stories, but to pause and to think about and to take in what this may have looked like, what was going on, this whole scenario. And these men start tearing this roof apart. Now, to get through our roof with modern construction, you're going to need some serious cutting equipment to start to do that. The house, more than likely in this, this day, Inside had a set of you know, wooden structure beams of some sort, then it either would have had some sort of either a tile system or palms laid down, some sort of a sub-support system. Then on top of that, they would have had a mixture usually of like a thatch, mud, clay, some makeshift cement product, and just kind of sealed the roof in. And these guys start to bust the roof apart, literally. Now, how they did it, I don't know. Did they grab pots up there and start smashing down to start crumbling the floor? But I just start to think of what this whole scenario looks like. The people in the house, think of the homeowner. Who owned the house? I mean, if it was Peter, I don't know. Peter, we know, had a flash temper at times the Lord had to work on. But was he, was he if it was his home, was he hollering and yelling? Did Jesus have to calm him down and say, you know, it's all right, this is going to be okay. Just trust me on this. This is okay. Were people inside scuttling and talking? Was it, was it quiet in disbelief? Imagine the dirt and dust coming down into the house. It's like driving down a dirt road and you know, on a hot summer day behind somebody and you get that choking dust. I just think of all these, the scenario of what this looks like. And these guys are ripping this house open because their friend has a great need. And they were determined to do anything possible to get their friend there. And now the man is lowered into the room. And it's like a movie scene to me. He wasn't quiet when he was coming through. Did people gasp as to realizing who's coming in? Because they probably recognized who this man was if they didn't know him by name. So he's coming down in. 
And then I think of the guys on the roof, his four friends at least that were up there, as soon as he hits the pad and is lowered, there's got to be four heads laying on the roof, looking down in, cupped ears possibly, waiting for the moment of seeing what Jesus will do for their friend with his great need. And it's very interesting as we look at Jesus' opening statement to this man in verse 5. Because, you know, Jesus sees the man's true need. And Jesus opens with this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I would almost dare say there may have been a pause or a gasp in the room. I think everybody was waiting for what? The healing, you're healed, and to see the miracle before them. But Jesus opens with, your sins are forgiven. It would almost be, what? This is almost inappropriate to say. Obviously, Jesus, this guy can't walk. Can't you see what his real need is right before us? He can't walk. He's paralyzed. Jesus sees past the obvious physical disability of this man and looks into his heart and he sees that this man's greatest need is forgiveness in his life. The greatest need he has is to be forgiven. True spiritual healing. You know, that is the greatest need you and I have in our life, is the Lord's forgiveness on our life, to receive spiritual healing from him. And it starts with the forgiveness of our sins. Now, does that mean that our other needs don't matter? Does that mean that our needs that we're taking into 2018 don't matter to Jesus? Does that mean that society's needs don't matter, what we face on the world scene? Does that mean that we shouldn't strive to seek some social justice from the Christian standpoint or to be wise stewards of our resources? No. But the greatest need that each one of us has, that I have and you have, is the healing of our hearts, the forgiveness of a Savior in our lives. You know, and we look at this, Jesus looks and is met with quick opposition in verses 6 and 7. He has the teachers of the law sitting before him in the room. Now Luke, the Gospel of Luke records this event as well too. And Luke gives us just a little bit more detail on the religious teachers. okay? Because they weren't just from the town. They were from the area. They were from the village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And they were in the house. They came as well seeking and looking for Jesus because, see, they already had some, a lot of pretension and hatred starting to go, and they're keeping an eye on Jesus. So they're sitting in this room, looking, sitting, watching, listening, prejudging. And you know, their one thought is true. Initially, with not realizing who Jesus is or accepting that yet, they do realize for him to proclaim that he forgave sins is blasphemy. Unless he truly is God, that would be a total smear against God. He would have no authority or right to do that. 
And they are true in their thought that who can forgive sins but God? They knew that only God can forgive sins. However, it was their pretense of hatred and jealousy and judgment they sat there with that their eyes of their hearts were already sealed on a lot of them because there was no way in their mind that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah, that he could possibly be God in flesh. And they sat there prejudging him in their hearts. And they had not spoken this out loud, but they were thinking that in Jesus showing his deity addresses their hearts immediately. He wastes no time in addressing it, and he challenges them with two questions. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier for me to do? To say that his sins are forgiven or to heal him? Now in reality, the easiest thing to do is just say something that doesn't really need an outward physical proof. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Who can refute that? Who could prove that? The truly more difficult thing is to say to a paralyzed person, get up, you're healed, and walk. That is the most difficult because now if you don't have the power to pull that off, everybody is going to see it didn't happen. It's not real. Everyone in the room and on the roof that day knew that only God could forgive sins. And Jesus responds with, to me, one of the key verses. He says to them in verse 10, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. You know, that's godly authority. Because to forgive sins, it only comes from God. Jesus publicly makes a statement. Now, setting the stage, basically saying, I am God. I am the second person of the Trinity. I am the true Son of God. I am the Son of Man. I have come in a full physical human body, but I am fully God as well. So he has everybody's attention now tuned into where, like Jesus has just made this claim that he is God. How is he going to prove that? See, Jesus came to meet our greatest need. Let's not forget that as we keep going through this. And without apology, he addresses the religious leaders directly in their disbelief and pride. And as this, this room now is setting up, I, just, I see this room almost as a precursor to the weeks to come when Jesus Christ would be nailed upon a cross. And then he's, as he's in this room, he's got the religious leaders, the skeptics, the scoffers are on the one side as the thief on the cross who would scoff and mock him. And on the other side, we have the criminal who responded in faith in a moment and Christ saved him and reached into his heart. And this room is almost a precursor. Jesus is in the middle between a paralyzed man whose sins need to be forgiven and between scoffers and mockers, and yet he's the bridge showing that he is the one who came to meet our greatest need. And in verse 11 and 12, we move forward, and Jesus gives proof of his first statement. He gives proof to it. He says, he commands the man to stand up and to go home. And the scripture tells us immediately, there's no ramp up time here. They didn't break for lunch, come back to see what was happening. Immediately, the man stands up, walks out in front of everybody. 
Jesus blesses this man that day with two blessings. He blesses him with spiritual healing and he blesses him as well with physical healing to meet his physical need as well. And scripture tells us that everyone was amazed. I mean, who wouldn't be? I think the implication of scripture is even the religious leaders were amazed. Doesn't mean that they believed and accepted, but anybody would be amazed when you see a true paralyzed person that you know can't walk and somebody just made him stand to his feet and he walks out the door. That would be amazing to see. But let's not miss the real reason, I think, for the physical miracle as well, too, in this story. You know, why did Jesus heal him beyond his heart? Because the reality is, is not everybody in Capernaum that day was healed. Jesus did touch this man's life. But the reality is, he didn't heal everybody. He didn't come into towns and just heal everyone. I think one of the first suggestions for that is, you know, in this situation, the Jews needed physical proof of the Messiah. This was prophetic. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament because, you see, the Jews had spent centuries yearning and longing for the chosen Messiah to come. And through that time, they are constantly battling the pagan false gods and idol worship false philosophers, twisters and manipulators of the scriptures. So their guard was very high. They needed real solid proof that when Jesus came, he just, doesn't want, no, no, just wasn't one of these other smooth-talking salesmen, that there was something very noticeable. And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, Isaiah prophesied, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. See, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. The Jews were looking for this evidence when the Messiah would come. So that is one reason he did. The second reason is why didn't he heal everybody that day? That wasn't the main reason Jesus came to earth. The main reason Jesus came to earth was to meet our greatest need. Our greatest need is his forgiveness and his salvation. Jesus came to earth to die on that cross to meet our greatest need. He didn't come to heal every single person. He came to heal us eternally and spiritually in our hearts. That was his agenda. That was what the Father's will was for him to do while he was on earth. You may say, well, Pastor Chad, does Jesus still heal people today, do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely, Jesus can miraculously touch and heal people. Does he do it for everyone? No, he doesn't. He didn't do it for everyone in the Bible times either as well. But he is still in the business of that. But... I would offer you this, does Jesus still heal every person spiritually that comes to him seeking their greatest need met? Absolutely. It's a guaranteed result for everyone. The gift of forgiveness is available for every one of us who come to seek that from Jesus. See, we all have needs. If you line up the Overbeek family this morning up here, 
We could put Connor, then Lindsay, Chase, Grant, Stacy, and Chad. We all have needs. We all have different emotional needs. We all have different physical needs. We all have different relational needs. But one thing's constant. We all have the exact same great spiritual need in our lives. We all have the need to be forgiven by a Savior. In an audience this size, think of the needs that are represented here. If we were to list all your needs, or even just your top five, everybody listed their top five, think of the list. We would all have varying needs. Some would overlap, some would match. Some would be quite different. But one thing's constant when I look across an audience like this, you all have the same great spiritual need that I have. And that is you have the need to be forgiven and saved by a Savior. Your kids have that same need. Your coworkers have that same need. Your boss has that same need. Your peers and your friends have that same need. Northern Michigan has that great same need. We all have a great need. The great thing is, Jesus Christ came to meet that greatest need that we all have. Would you bow your heads as we start to close? I'm going to ask a couple questions this morning as we close. And I guess the first one is, have you had your greatest need met in your life? Are you like the paralyzed man this morning where you do have needs? may not be a paralyzed need, but have you had the need of your heart met? Have you had a time in your life where you've responded to Jesus to meet your need? Or maybe starting 2018, you've never really even known this. This might be your first time in service this morning in a long time in a church. But my question would be to you is, have you had your greatest need met. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to have your greatest need met as we close as well. And you can do business with God right where you're at, right where you're seated. You can talk to God in your own heart. But you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to earth. He was the Son of Man. He was fully human. He was the Son of God. He was fully God. He came to die on a cross at Calvary to shed his blood for your greatest need. And you say, well, why would he do that? Because the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, God said without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Well, why does that matter? It matters because God makes the rules. See, there's, there's a price to pay for our sin. But the reality is your, the price to pay for your sin and my sin is too great. Your blood won't cover it because we are sinners. But Jesus was a perfect lamb of God. He was sinless, and God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our greatest need. And Jesus died on that cross, shed his blood for you. Three days later, 
He died physically. He arose again three days later from a sealed grave with a Roman guard posted at it. He appeared to over 500 people before he left earth to solidify even more so his evidence that he truly was alive. So my, my call to you this morning is, have you ever had your greatest need met? Starting 2018, this would be a great day to start the year this way, is to get your greatest need met. To ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to meet your greatest need, to profess him as your Lord and Savior, to allow him to come in and to rule and to reign in your life. And if you in your mind and heart right now are talking with God about that, you merely need to confess that to him, to ask him to reach out in faith for forgiveness and to come in to cleanse and make you new. And if you've done that this morning, I would love to pray for you as we close. We're going to go through one more question, but I'm not going to call you out. I won't embarrass you. That's not what we're about, but I would like to rejoice with you. And if you've met your greatest need with Jesus this morning, would you just respond by raising your hand? Just a moment. Thank you. Anybody else? Another question I have is this. Who do you know in your life that needs their greatest need met? Who do you know as we go into 2018 that needs their greatest need met? Is it a coworker, a friend at work, a neighbor, a friend in school, family member? Are you a friend that's willing to be socially awkward in talking about Jesus with somebody? To be a verbal witness for somebody this year that may need to hear how they can have their greatest need met? See, these four guys, they put it on the line to some extent that day when they ripped a roof apart in a stranger's house. How often are we silent? And I include myself in this question as well, too. Those moments when we have that opportunity, we need that encouragement to step forward, to be a friend that will open our mouth. We can say, Pastor Chad, I am, I am a witness. I, I live my witness and my faith in Christ out silently. That's, that's good by the way you live. That's biblical. But let's be honest. When you look at Scripture and we look over and over at how people received and responded to the gospel, there was an audible presentation. Somebody spoke a testimony of what Christ had done or they spoke the truth of the gospel and it gave people, when you accepted Christ, you heard it from somebody. We need to all speak to open up. Who do we know this year that has to have their greatest need met. Northern Michigan needs their greatest need met yet, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus, I thank you for a new year. For some of us, it's a time of reflection, new goal setting, time to look back at the past. Some of us just don't care about the date. It's just a, a nuisance to get our habit of writing 18 instead of 17. 
But the reality is, Lord, I pray as we go into 2018, God, give us, give us hearts that are open in seeing the lost around us. Give us hearts to realize the great need that everybody has in their life, a need for forgiveness that only you can offer. God, break our lips free. Break the silence of our lips on those times when we stand in silence, being nudged when we know we should say something, but it's too socially awkward or weird to do at that moment. Soften our hearts, Lord. Let us allow your Holy Spirit, Lord, to empower us to move into our lives. Fill us. Use our hands, our feet. God, may we be focused and zeroed in on the greatest need that northern Michigan has. The need of forgiveness and the need to hear about a Savior who will meet that need. We love you, Jesus. Amen.